HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentesana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made-from-scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city. We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm. We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Apologies in advance for my voice on today's show. I received a little gift in the form of a cold from our beautiful daughter, Josephine. This week, we sit down with one of the best in the West, Chef Jeremy Fox, to talk about the enduring legacy of Rustic Canyon and his new project, Birdie G's, which is the first restaurant he's been involved with from the ground up. Then we dig into the archives and listen to a classic performance from Thick, who just signed to one of our favorite record labels of all time, Epitaph. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I want to thank my daughter in advance for giving me a little bit of a cold and this amazing raspy voice. I love you very much, Josephine. But you're here today with Jeremy Fox. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk to you about Birdie G's. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about Rustic Canyon because I feel like it's having a moment right now. Um, I've been in a couple times and I feel that some of the plates I've had, some of the food they're putting up is the best that it's ever been. I agree. Um, it's been around for years. It's a complete staple. But what made you want to dive back into the menu and continue to push the restaurant before, beyond, you know, what it could be just to stay busy every night? Well, I, th- I think Rusty Cannon is always, <clears throat> even before me and, and after me, has continued to evolve and it's it's never been static. We've always uh, kind of followed our our hearts and our kind of obsessions and inspiration on, on where it goes next. So you know the menu is completely different than it was five years ago and four years ago and three years ago, so on and so forth. Um, you know as as Birdie G's became started getting closer and kind of the the idea solidified, it made it it started to become a lot more clear on what the difference between Rusty Canyon and Birdie G's is, which is a lot more difficult when uh, I don't have a set genre of what my food is. It's not Italian. It's not pasta. It's not Spanish. It's not French. So other than the ubiquitous farm to table, I don't necessarily have a way to describe Rusty Canyon's food. Um, So I've just gone with that and for, for better or for worse. And it's, you know, what I wanted to create a restaurant like Birdie G's, I wanted a place that, you know, how I like to eat. I want to go to, the, to, the, to this place and for that one dish that I like, I, I like and I get every time. And I think the older I get, the more I eat that way. Um, so it, what it meant for Rustic is that, you know, it's a neighborhood restaurant, which means that it's usually, you know, plays the hits and doesn't necessarily change, but uh, we wanted to go the opposite way, where it's constantly changing. It's a neighborhood restaurant that you pretty much, the thing that you loved the last time most likely won't be on the menu again, other than, than a few dishes. And and it was a matter of finding finding a, a common voice for, for what the restaurant is, for the kitchen, and um, you know, working with uh, with the chefs and you know, Chef de Cuisine Andy Dubrava. You know, a lot of these dishes that you're talking about that you've had recently that you know you you feel are it's the best Russell Canyon has been is are his dishes, and he's definitely grabbed a hold of of what our ethos was, and you know, putting his own his own spin on it. So with Russell Canyon becoming. Um a neighborhood spot, which we have felt for a long time is very successful um, to the longevity of any restaurant. And you understand that people aren't going to be able to get the same plate of pasta they got the last time. How do you keep reinforcing the flavors or the themes of the menu so that people know they're going to get a similar food experience while not the same dishes? We're definitely conscious of the fact that we're depending on, on people trusting us in a way, especially uh, repeat diners, that if they are coming back and they know that these certain dishes aren't going to be around, that they they trust that well, whatever is going on, whatever they're cooking, it's going to be good. And uh, so we we consciously make sure that what we're doing isn't too precious. It's not esoteric, but we're using the best ingredients. We're using. You know, a lot of a lot of great techniques. We're using some modern techniques. You know, nothing beyond a dehydrator, but uh, you know whether that's fermentation, um, and you know, trying to make things that that uh, have a certain craveability to it, but with a, with a, a little different spin. And usually, if something sounds you know, pretty over the top. It's usually comes out fairly light and balanced. So you have unbelievable creative freedom at Rustic Canyon and also the financial stability to create whatever you wanted. 
But when did you start thinking about opening a new place when you have essentially a dream restaurant that is your playground, your R&D facility, you have all these beautiful connects with farmers and different people. What made you want to start saying it's time to open up another place? I think just uh, getting older and wanting to do not, not, I'm not replacing anything where I, I felt like in the past I would have had to leave Rusty Canyon to, to go do something else. I'm in a very fortunate position that uh, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, you know, with Rusty Canyon and I get to just do a different expression. Uh, so it, it, it feels really natural and it just felt like something that was really like bottling up inside me for a long time of, of the kind of food that I want to do and the kind of place and, you know, a, a strange analogy for that is, you know, I started cooking and went to culinary school because really uh, Big Night, the movie Big Night, and there was something beautiful about that, the restaurant that Primo and Secondo had where they were had so much integrity and they wanted to do things their way and they didn't want to follow any trends. And the place down the street that Ian Holm had with like the the music and the cocktails and the and the neon signs, you know, which was it, after seeing that movie, I that's the bad, that's the evil side, uh, and I wanted I wanted Primo Segundo's restaurant, and that's kind of how I've built my career is as I wanted to just do you know stay away from trends and do something where it was very understated, and now I want to have. That I want the restaurant that Ian Home had because it feels it was so fun and lively and while it was very lively at the special dinner that that they cooked um, that for the big night uh, that place with with the, with so much energy that really kind of felt wow like what I wanted and to be able to have both felt just the best of both worlds. Yeah, in many ways you can keep the original indie yeah movie. And then you can go out and make the big blockbuster like as John well. John Cusack. Yeah, John did, Cusack. He did Con Air, and then he did Gross Point Blank. Like, Oof. or maybe both. maybe uh, I think it was, maybe it was one before the other. I think doesn't matter. I'll watch them both on a Saturday. Yeah, when it's raining, mm-hmm. they're both going to be on TBS. Um, so instead of just overhauling the menu or burning a place to the ground and walking away, what what can you say with opening a new restaurant? that you can't say with just saying, we're closing it down in four months, we're gonna be Rustic Canyon 2.0. What does opening up a new restaurant allow you to say and allow you to plant a new type of flag for you? Um, in, in my mind, in my vision, Birdie G's is, is a lot more decadent, um, a, lot, a little bit more whimsical. Um, and I, I think that they're, it's probably more, a little bit more creativity, and like I said, whimsy in, in the style of food there. Um, where it, it Rusty Canyon, I, I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to feel like, the last thing I wanted is it to be like, that's Jeremy Fox's food, that's that's a certain way, and if, and if I'm not there, it's not right, and it's not as good. Um, so it was about finding just kind of what Rusty Canyon could be in, in, be is just a great restaurant and not not depend on on me uh, you know it's I think a lot of times when you're young you want you want to be the most vital part of of, of, of whatever the operation is you want to, to be the uh, the thing that's holding everything together and um, there's something beautiful about kind of setting it up and then watching it watching it just improve and get better and and it's improving because other people are putting their own love into it and uh, taking such ownership over it and and have such drive to make it better and better. There's an ownership that yeah. you can share but also comes with age where you have that confidence where I don't have to be the guy. Brune wanting right. every on- onion for sure. it to be my place. Yeah, but you know, that's 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 40. That's 40. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about Birdie G's. For those who are unfamiliar with it, what is it going to be? Birdie G's is 
again, it's it's hard to to, to say in, in in a one in a one sheet what it is. It's a, a classic American restaurant, but not like any other restaurant. You know, it has some um, uh, lineage or some inspiration from classic places like Musso and Frank or uh, Tadich Grill and just the kind of places in, say, the Midwest that have been around for 60, 70, 80 years, more than that, and uh, haven't necessarily rolled with the times, but that's what's great about it. That's what's classic and timeless about it. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily replicating those things, but I would love if in 50 years, Birdie G's is still maybe even serving, you know, a lot of the same dishes that it was, uh, it was like when we open, um, long after I'm gone, that would be the ultimate dream that it's, it's just, they go back, people go back because they want this dish that was conceived in, you know, 2017 and just continue to, to go. I mean, there's tables at Musso and Frank's, if you know what to order, you get a meal that feels very modern and very good and exactly what you want and it's been around for a hundred years mm-hmm. um, how do you plan for that you know what is the underlying philosophy of obviously you don't know what people are going to be eating in 50 years but how do you stay true to yourself but then also trying to make modern classics for a restaurant that's going to be very new in a time where people's desire for food on a menu can be fickle I think the biggest thing is I wanted to just taste amazing and be almost be over the top. You know, I, I don't know why I've always kind of wanted to stay in the middle in terms of like subtlety or, or understatement and not beat people over the head with whatever the, with, with anything. And I want this to be like, holy shit, I can't believe they're actually doing that dish. Um, how many calories is that? But, you know, have some of the, have some things like that. Um, and not have that editor in my mind of like oh, that's too much. It's too much. Like I just no, want we to can't. Do, we can't do that. We, we that can't thing. do that. We can't do that. And there you go. We can do that. I want to. I want to. I want to go for it. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about building the gr- restaurant from the ground up, and then what people can expect, especially the custom caviar, which I am very excited about. We have a song from the archives. I'm going to give my voice a little bit of a rest here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here with Jeremy Fox talking about his upcoming soon-to-be-open restaurant, Birdie G's. And one of the most exciting things about this restaurant is that you're opening it from the ground up. You are in it from the first pitch of the shovel to the mm-hmm. first writing of the ingredient shopping list. What makes it so exciting to be at the start of the creative process? And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first restaurant where you've been at the start of it. Yeah, it is. It is the first restaurant that I've been able to um, be a part of from <clears throat> from inception. You know, a lot of what I did is I've done in the past was, you know, came in to an existing restaurant or something that had already been planned. The kitchen had already been designed. Um, you know, with this, I'm able to, you know, decide on what what the floors are and what the uh, upholstery is for the for the seats and in addition to the food and build and build the team from scratch, um, including Brittany Cassidy over there who, you know, was with me at Rustic for five plus years. She went to uh, she went to uh, Minneapolis this winter uh, for six months, kind of like uh, she worked with Gavin Kaysen and it kind of felt like she was. Uh, Rocky going to Siberia for uh, for the training before before she, before she fights uh, Drago, um, and uh, you know couldn't think of a, a better person to to work with me to get this place going. So there's a lot of benefits of opening a place from the ground up, but I know it's not all sunshine and roses. What are some of the tougher things when you're starting something from the ground up? Well, <clears throat> you know we've. It's been two years since we started with the space, and in terms, and between uh, getting getting a bunch of people on board on the same page in terms of even signing the lease and getting construction and permitting, and uh, it seems like it's a lot of stops and goes and stops and goes, and it's um, you gotta. I don't know. I kind of have to started to like curb some excitement or else it would just be too intense like I'd be like well this might it's might you know it's supposed to open in June this might open in this next December like who knows so just being aware of, of any kind of disappointments that might happen and there's been a few minor um, delays but nothing crazy uh, I think we originally were planning for April and you know now it's looking really good like June um but that's really been so far. I mean, that's been kind of the worst of it. But you know, there's going to be things that get delivered and are completely wrong, and things that oh, they measured wrong. It doesn't quite fit. I know that's going to happen. I know that not everything is going to go as planned. But um, I feel like everyone is in the right mind space to to kind of assess it and and roll with whatever whatever happens. Now that you are opening up your own place, does it make you look back on some of the restaurants that you came into and have an understanding of situations you've walked into or things that you've taken from them that you can now either go, oh, I understand why that was happening then, or things you can be like, I want to avoid this in my own place? I think, it, yes, I've always kind of noticed uh, and paid attention to things that were good and things that were bad and, you know, take a little bit from everything. Um, but it, this does definitely make me take stock in the fact that, you know, but when this opens, I'll be 43 and I've been cooking in restaurants since I was 20 now, um, you know, more than half my life. And to, uh, I'm definitely paying homage to a lot of the places where I started out, you know, whether it's recreating a, a specific dish that was, on the menu at Mumbo Jumbo in Atlanta, to um, little uh, little you know nods of the cap uh, to other components and other chefs, um, it's definitely going to be there. You know, you've been pretty open about your struggles of like balancing the life work relationship and now adding another giant feather to the cap of the your restaurants. How do you plan on balancing that? Like, how do you plan since this is so personal for you? to take those moments when you go, I need to step away um, and take time for myself first, 
what's expected of opening up your own restaurant and having to be there short of sleeping there. I definitely understand that uh, there is going to be a kind of a shift in in my ability to balance coming. You know, it's already kind of started, but it's going to really ramp up. And um, I am going into it knowing that I probably won't take days off for a long time. Um, but I also am aware of you know, not doing, not doing too much. You know, it's, it's a brand new restaurant. It's a big restaurant. I, I, I don't, you know, we're not opening for lunch and dinner right away. We're not doing a tasting menu right away. You know, there, there's things that, um, always have the long game in mind and, and doing things in a pace that works for everybody works for, uh, the staff, for the team that, that they don't get burnt out and overwhelmed, uh, which, you know, already opening a new restaurant is very overwhelming, and it's like uh, you know, it's it's kind of crazy and fast, like uh, like takeoff uh, in, a, in a jet plane. Well, especially now with you know people just chomping at the bit to get in there with media and things like that. You know, it can be very tough because people expect it to be perfect from day one. But you've been very open about restaurants that you've been a part of in the past about saying, like, hey, we need five, six months. Um, but they haven't been a restaurant that you've started as, you know, the main person. How do you address that when it's so personal without taking it so personally? I think it's it's doing as much planning ahead and, and testing and, and making sure that what we open doing, whether it is slightly smaller menu that we're able to we're able to execute it the way we want um without without killing ourselves um the menu seems like it's going to be a lot of fun and it really seems like you're tapping into so many of the connections that you've built over the last decade decade plus of being in california and the one that really jumped out to me was this custom caviar because i've never heard of that before i've heard of farm caviar but I've never heard of the process of actually getting to make and design your own caviar. How did that come about and what's the story behind it? So this came about um, through Michael Passmore who uh, has Passmore Ranch up in Northern California and I've been uh, working with him for years and you know become really good friends with him. Uh, really quality guy and um, he, he does great caviar um, with sturgeon and he mentioned to me that we could do a kind of a custom Bertie G's uh, steelhead row. And, you know, I'll be, I'm going over up there uh, pretty soon to, to do that with him. And it's, it's pretty crazy that um, the row will be harvested without, without killing the fish. Um, so how is that possible? It's uh, expelled. Um, and, uh, which, you know, I know years ago when I was at a at a vegetarian restaurant, the thought of having a caviar that was, you know, as vegetarian as chicken eggs. You know, a lot of vegetarians will still eat chicken eggs. You know, it. I wonder what like, is this vegetarian caviar? If in the same way, you know, I guess technically it is right for for some maybe for some. Um, it's a, it's a gray area. It's a very gray area, or orange area, as, as this will probably be. But um, And so do you say, how do you go in with the taste? Is, do you pick different types of fish? Are there different parts of the river or the lake that they're in? It's a, it's a, it'll be steelhead uh, steelhead trout. Right, but I'm, no, I'm saying that like when you go in with a certain flavor profile in mind, how did you land on, on the trout? Um, well, that is... Well, he he does steelhead trout and he does sturgeon. The sturgeon would be very expensive, and I I don't want I wanted to be able to do a caviar service and have it be less expensive, um, but not necessarily have to uh, uh, skip on the on the quality by by getting just kind of some commodity trout roe or salmon roe. Um, but the flavors I'm, I'm going for are kind of based on like bagels and cream cheese mm. and, and deli flavors. So you know. It, uh, you know the the concept are is uh, you know rye uh, rye apple skivers mm-hmm. little kind of like 
donuts uh, in, in a cast iron pan and um, like an everything mix and you know uh, capers and um, creme fraiche you know the kind of the usual suspects to make just something that's fun to eat and it'll be presented like on glass dishes and on ice but it would be something that is a fraction of the cost but you still kind of have that that fun decadent uh, um, interactive experience I love that I love that you have decadence at a cost right well you know a lot of times growing up we, we couldn't even we didn't even couldn't even afford salmon like smoked salmon so we did poor man's lox is what we called it and that was just sliced tomato with salt on it and mm. um, but you, it was still kind of that same uh, ritual of, of Sunday morning bagels with cream cheese and an onion but um, again fraction of the cost no, it's still fun. It's still fun. Yeah. Um, the design of the new place is also fun, and it's great because you get to be part of that as well. And I know that photography is going to play a big part of that. Um, what's your love of photography? How's it playing into the design of the space? Well, I, I've definitely picked up an affinity for photography over the years, and you know, we just started out with taking pictures of dishes on the floor at Rusty Canyon, and then um, you know, my uh, my friend. Matt gave me one of his old cameras, Sony A7s, and I still have no idea how to use it. You know, a lot of times it's in it's in auto mode, but um, I you know I would love to. I kind of see that as my hobby, you know, for the rest of my life of learning how to how to do amazing things with a camera because I'm not even I've even scratched the surface on that. Um, so. I don't know that it's the photography has influenced the design. Um, I think the biggest influence for design is we didn't want it to to look like we did a whole lot to the space because mm. it has just such a natural uh, rawness um, to it that we we kind of went in and we put a kitchen in and uh, cleaned up the floors and a friend of mine is doing an amazing mural, um, but it still has. I didn't want to create like a movie set. I didn't want it to be, you know, we have these kind of throwback menu looking menus and plates and I didn't want it to feel like we were just trying too hard to create a certain uh, aesthetic. So it's, it's still just, this is what the space is. And we put the restaurant that we wanted in that space. So it has that timeless feel. Sure. To it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we go, I want to say that we are a few months out from the opening of the restaurant what is the one thing that you want to remember going through your head right now when you're in it at the restaurant in a few months and you this interview feels like years ago? What's going through your head right now as you get excited to opening the doors to Bird and Cheese? Um, usually, don't screw it up, don't screw it up, don't screw it up, don't screw it up. I don't think you will. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit and talk with us. Thank you understanding my voice <laughs> and uh, if people want to find you online or check out any of your other restaurants where can they go? They can go to uh, Rustic Canyon or uh, Tallulah's Restaurant Awesome, and for information on Birdie G's where can they go? They can go to uh, BirdieG'sLA.com or, or uh, on Instagram at BirdieG'sLA Awesome, well thank you so much Thank you. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.org
Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave-Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. Hi, my name is Sam Ben Ruby, and I'm the host of The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. With this show... We bring wine to the people. Each week, we bring the best guests in wine on, taste different wines on air, and invite our listeners to taste with us. You'll find our approach to wine decidedly unsnobby. You can find The Grape Nation wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. We have Thick live in studio. Woo-hoo. Nikki, Sherry, Kate, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hi. Uh, Grim Streaker and Annie Hart both said that we should have you on, so here Aww, we are. that's so sweet of them. Like, totally, they, totally separately, oh, they just said, y'all. have them come on. Um, one of the interviews I read with you, you talked about how female bands are taking over the male-dominated scene. <laughs> sure, but, was that me? Perhaps. That sounds like something I would say. How are, what do you think the gap is that female bands are covering that male bands are not able to do anymore? Or just uh, why do you think of theirs and rise is happening? Um, I could give an opinion from my perspective. I've been playing music here since I'm 17, like in New York City. And I was used to going on Craigslist and there were so many dude bands that were like, like, we don't want girls in the band. Like, we're just looking for guys. And I was always the only girl in an all-male band, and we would play so many shows, and it was, like, so dominated by by dudes all the time. And I think we saw, like, a, like starting a couple of years ago, like, all these girl bands were, like, popping up, which is, um, I think, amazing. I think, like, it was a camaraderie of, like, everyone, like, communicating about what they were doing. Yeah. And, yeah, that became the thing. It was, like, now people are, like, dude bands, like... It's all about the girl bands. <laughs> so wait, um, can you ask the question again? Yeah, what, what do you think um, the female bands bring to the table that the male bands were no longer bringing to the table? You go first, then. <laughs> Something that I know is a safe space. Like, it's just, I don't know, um, more of an inclusion. Sometimes when I, when I first moved to New York, I'd go to shows, and I'd like, love going to any kind of show. And it was always like really aggressive. Which is fine, but almost too aggressive. Like, where up front, you just get smashed and pushed in the face. Just like, And it's fun, but it almost felt, like, violent. And it wasn't like, let's just party together. Let's, like, jump around together. It's like, I'm going to beat you up. 
and I felt like got, all the shows I used to go to just got more and more aggressive and so I think that's something that I know Thick does I can't talk for every single female fronted band or female bands in general but I think we bring more of a safe space of like respect everyone respect their space respect safety like have fun and be together and together that's how I just feel about it yeah when it used to kind of be a girls to the front was something you would have to say and now I feel like at our shows at least like we don't ever have to say that and anybody's up front but now it's like boy girl anything you want to be like you're up front and you're included and you're, yeah. you're just uh-huh. not you're respected if you get crowd surfed I feel like you always land like people like help <laughs> you land you. <laughs> and like look out for you and I think that women sometimes in this scene have a chip on their shoulder that men don't have. It's always been assumed that some guy can pick up a guitar and play music mm-hmm. that sounds kind of like what everyone's already played and get decent shows and be booked. But I feel like there's, at least for me and some other women I talk to, there's a sense of having to prove yourself a little bit more before you're taken seriously, which I think just changes a lot of what we say and what we do as a band. Right. It's like, they're a girl band and they can play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, come always. on. Yeah. <laughs> But do you feel that that is changing at all, or even like slightly a little bit better? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh-huh. Yes, we can say slightly. marginally better. Oh, I think definitely <laughs> yeah. better. I mean, the New York Times wrote an entire article about it that yeah. women are rolling rock music. So I think people are taking note, and that was kind of sweet because a lot of actually guys in our scene um, came up to me and they were like, "Oh yeah, we were happy to see you in it." But I mean, duh, we all know that you guys like women are kicking ass in rock music, and I was like, "Well, you might think that, but." I think as a broader general acceptance, there's still a lot of work to be done. I think in Brooklyn, we've it's changed a lot in the past mm-hmm. couple of years. I mean, that article came out about two months ago. Um, you said people have seen you in it, but have you seen even more response for it? Or what has kind of been the result of being in that article or, or people's perception? More people listen to our stuff on Spotify. Right. <laughs> yeah. It seems like all different types of people, like have reached out on like Instagram like I guess more people like following it on Spotify and like Instagram and it's it's not like one specific like type of person I feel like it's all different types of people which is really cool so like that's always really good to see do you feel that I mean you're still relatively young but do you feel that there's you know like 15 or 14 or 16 year old girls reaching out to Get influence. I want more. I, would, I have <laughs> a little sister. You? She's 16. And I'm like, tell your friends that I'm your cool older sister and hang out, you know, listen to Thick. <laughs> and she doesn't really, but I, I love She's that. She's guitar, though. I wish when I was 16, I had women playing like this, you know? I, I really, Alanis mm-hmm. Morris, it was my thing when I grew up. <laughs> I loved Alanis. That's but so I wish, true. and like, I, yeah, I don't know. I just wish, I would love younger women to be like, oh man, like, this is so cool. Just be inspired. It, I'll never forget the nine-year-old girl at our Richmond show who came up <laughs> after the set and talked to each one of us and was like, you know, I think you played really well. And she was just so cute and so small. And I was like, thanks. It's very sweet of you. Do you, like, do do you, you play do music? It? Do you like... She was like, I like to sing and dance. And I'm like, you should keep doing that. Like, definitely keep doing that because it's really fun. <laughs> She's adorable. Can we hear a song? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so this one's Bleeding. It's about getting your period. <laughs> as you do and like all the chaos that comes with it like you hate yourself you hate your friends you hate New York City it usually happens every every month for why me. does New York City get hated oh uh, my god <laughs> it brings it out I was like. on my bike and I was like I fucking hate it oh yeah. uh, sorry, whatever I hate everybody right yeah. now and I hate the cars I hate the people it's too fast and then like four days later I'm like I love this place it's, it's just part <laughs> just of too having much stress. Yeah. Yeah. but it's like it's the beauty of having Bleeding. I love it. So that's, that's <laughs> this next song is called Bleeding. Great. Here we go live on Snacky Tunes. Don't touch me. 
You talk about your influences being Blink-182, Taking Back, Sunday. <laughs> and I'm curious how their lyrics kind of square with what you're writing about. Uh, it's just because sometimes there are like very like party boy or like uh. girlfriend type stuff. What do you pull? What do you pull from them, and what do you leave behind? Oh well, they were just so much fun, and they don't take themselves too seriously. And when we started Thick a uh, couple what, years ago, Sherry and I, it was all about fun, and it was like a party band. It really was. Yeah. I'm was. like, I don't see enough women partying on stage and like banging their hair and all that kind of stuff, and like <laughs> not taking themselves too seriously and writing like stupid songs. And like one of our first songs is "Take Your Clothes Off and Party with Me," because you know? yeah. that was something that we would do. A yeah, lot. I feel like oh. the hardest thing sometimes, like being in bands, is to have fun. And I feel yeah. like when I like joined Thick and I was talking to them, I was like, "Oh, like this is so fun." I mean, yeah. we figured out how to like have fun and not be like, <laughs> "Well, it's a balance. You can have fun and still band. play yeah. well." At right. first, yeah. we would just be we would have yeah. fun and like. We were fun to watch, but we were not very good to listen to. And to be honest, we were terrible. But it was always a sh- it was always fun, and it's still just as fun. But now I'm like, wait, I've been playing guitar for so long. Like, uh, let's like take ourselves make a little effort. bit seriously and right. make an effort. Like, so we can yeah, we like. I think we we found the balance. So that's why I love. Like, I thought the they were just so funny, and they didn't take themselves seriously, and. And take yeah. them back Sunday. I don't even yeah. know. I just, also, those melodies. Those melodies. I think have they've always been really easy to remember because mm-hmm. I listen to all that stuff like. I grew up on Long Island, like middle school, high school, and like I don't know, they're they're super easy and fun and catchy hooks, lots yeah. of harmonies. I feel yeah. like for sure and that definitely wears off on us. And for writing your lyrics and kind of not just being uh, pigeonholed as like a girl band or just writing things like that, how do you balance it? Because they're super simple, but they're also really meaningful and have a lot of depth. So like, how did you balance to get your message apart while being fun, taking yourself seriously, not being put into a corner? Um, I think there's real things that we write about. I know all the songs that we have so far, like, I actually feel it when I write it, you know? Or we write it together, yeah. and it's, like, real. They're extremely honest. They're yeah. honest, yeah. And in that way, I think it makes them relatable and easy for people to understand, because it's a lot of the stuff that people go through is mutual. It's shareable with other audiences, and regardless of, like, yeah. your perspective or background. And something I've been trying, like, I've struggled with throughout Thick is we do write a lot of songs about love and heartbreak or just kind of fucking stuff up in relationships and it's like I'm like oh, I'm, I shouldn't be writing about love because that's all women do is write about love like oh, that's too girly but I'm like wait why are we putting down females and what we t- it's okay to be a girl and talk about love if all men writing about songs and love and heartbreak why can't girls sing about it and why are we pigeonholed as being a Sensitive girl by the and so I had to struggle with that for a while. I was like, you know, fuck it. This is like real. I'm going yeah, through a heart. I'm going through a breakup right now and I want to sing about it. Or <laughs> I made a fool of myself last night talking to somebody, like some girl or boy. Like I, you know. So it's just kind of, um, yeah, it's very honest. Is like mm-hmm. said. Yeah, it's all the experiences also that people go through. So it's like listening back to her music. It's really interesting knowing like what everyone in the band was going through with like a certain yeah. person, like relationship. And I think like that's really cool. It is. If they're so honest and like of a piece in time, have you now written enough songs that had enough distance that you'll sing something and be like, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. But I went through that and then there's some distance between Oh, I now. hate it. Wasting my time is my least favorite song to play. I hate Why is that? Because it's about well, it's about I was like it's about a breakup, a really hard one. And it's just so whiny. And it's like, oh like I don't even it is angry. It's like I don't know, I never loved you anyway, which is true, which I like that part, but I'm just like, You're leaving. It's like shut up, Nicole, get over it. It was uh that's the only song I'm like, ugh. Everyone I else likes that, that song, though. Yeah. I mean, you gotta play it for the fans. It's like a grunge <laughs> I, I feel like. Or one fan, Sherry's mom. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I really like that song, even though I can see yeah. that it's painful. She, like, relates to all the <laughs> And do you ever find that um, if you come to a song that's not as honest, you say that the other band members will be like, you need to go back and redo this or kind of come a little bit more correct yeah I'm like you need yeah. to face the wall and rewrite well, we'll be playing together and like it just won't go anywhere when we have a song when we write songs it just comes so easy yeah, it, it locks, really it nice locks really in it locks in or it doesn't if it's not locking in I think we just like move forward yeah Yeah, like, I'm like you know what I don't, I'm not really into this like it just doesn't really go anywhere we have a, quite a few of those where like it just didn't really go anywhere hit the hearts was it because the the content wasn't true or just like it just didn't come together for all the other elements well, we have a couple like actually well structured songs, but I don't. Some one song we have, it's done. I don't like the melody of it. You know, I like the context, I like the words, I like the lyrics, but the, I don't like the way I sing the verses, and I haven't found a way to fix that yet. Yeah, and we've gone back and revised some older ones too, where we're like, this is great, 
from this point on in the song, but let's just rip this apart and like give it a whole new beginning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as you get older and you can like look back on the past, you like admit things to yourself that you couldn't at the time. So do you have to like change a few words mm. or a couple of lyrics yeah. based on like, you're like, actually, I was lying Definitely. to myself then. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What's, what's the, um, I'm blanking right now. But there's some songs I sing about like men and now we sing about women so it's just like that we've changed that quite a few times but that is pretty funny yeah. yeah also making certain lyrics more gender neutral overall yeah, yeah like in, in bleeding yeah it's trying yeah. more gender neutral because when we wrote it i was i was like a freaking like so unoblivious to the i was like so oblivious to the world and like the culture and society all this kind of crazy stuff i was just like insensitive at times you know unintentionally insensitive so I think we're just more aware of what we're right now. When did you start making it gender neutral? Or like, was it a conscious decision? Or how did that evolve? <laughs> when two of us became gay. <laughs> no, no. Now, now when, we, when we both started dating women, I think we've opened... I'm in, like, I've never been part of the LGBTQ world before. So now, honestly, that was a huge thing for me. I'm like, wait, I don't want to keep saying about boys because I'm in love with a woman. And I think you can talk about... Both of those things. Or whoever you're in love. So that, that will not me. Yeah, it makes you more year. aware to, like, these lyrics could be for anyone. So you could, like, replace, <laughs> like, boyfriend with girlfriend or, like... It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think just we have so many friends that are, like, uh, really respectful and aware of things. I think, like, being around those people, like, it makes yeah. us aware of, like, we should totally change that. Yeah. Um, we want to... Yeah, like, we want to honor, like, everyone's feelings and, like, make them feel safe, not just And relate to this song. It's not just about, like, some girl and a boy it's like and women we say women I would try to say women yeah. but like it's just being more thoughtful <laughs> is guess. it harder to fit in the two syllables versus girl I love saying I love saying the word girl though I just love how it feels like, mm-hmm. I just like girl cause saying One. boyfriend is like I think like uh. since the 70s it's just been so like how it's said like in music boyfriend like it's fun to say something different can we hear another song for yeah. sure what are you gonna play for us the next one is called <laughs> Girly. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That. We're putting out a we're just put a, a music video for the song too. Cool. Uh, here we go live on Snacky Tunes. So you just got done or doing your first session for your new EP last weekend? Yeah. Two weekends ago? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are you recording? What's the process? We are recording at Cowboy Recording Rig, I think is what it's called. Um, It's in Greenpoint with our friend Mario. He did Girly as a single for us and just like nailed it really fast. It was such an easy process. So we decided to go back and work with him for this next EP. And how has it evolved from the earlier work? Or is there any changes besides pronouns and thinking about <laughs> girls instead of guys? Oh, are you talking about like, like the, the musical the, the recording part or the song? The songs. 
I think they're growing up as we're growing up. Yeah. I think musically and content wise, it's shifted yeah, a little. A little better. I wasn't yeah. very. I can never play any. I still kind of fuck up on the ribs, but like now I can actually like nail them. Yeah. So that, yeah, and yeah. then. Actually, Sherry's a little more simple on the drums. She was a constant fill. The whole the first, the first year of Thick was as a fill. Yeah. I think we were taking more notice into parts and dynamics and really like breaking it down section by section if we want it to shift in a certain way or really have a buildup that's effective and trying to work on that as a band and make sure making sure that all three parts fit together mm-hmm. for every piece of the song in a way that we haven't necessarily dissected things as much in the sure. past. It's I think a slightly it's, more thoughtful um, process. I think it's also really, it's, like, way easier now, I think, being in a studio. I feel like we're, like, way tighter. Yeah. It's more, more like, fluid. It's Fewer just, takes. Yeah. Do everything live. We know what we're, like, we Screw want, a click track. Yeah. Yeah. Just, like, run with it. And you also have some upcoming shows as well, right? Yes. We are playing on November 6th at Elsewhere, which yes. just is opening up. Finally. On, Shout yeah. out to Rami and Jake. Yeah, I love those guys. They're um, old friends of Snacky Tunes and oh, yeah. awesome. patiently waiting. Oh, they're so fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited for that space. I think yeah. it's going to be a really, really good addition to yeah, Brooklyn and Bushwick yeah. particularly. Um, or even better, like bringing back something that's been missing for like a couple years. Yes. Yeah. R.I.P. Glasslands. R.I.P. Glasslands. Uh, <laughs> that's so nice. I was just reminiscing about one of those shows the other day. Um, but and then we're also playing at Union Pool on the 9th and then we're taking a break mm-hmm. and playing a New Year's Eve show at Rough Trade with Diarrhea Planet Amazing. that we're yeah. so stoked for because we're all giant fans of Diarrhea <laughs> Planet we were like can I all just, we want to do is play with Diarrhea Planet <laughs> I think Planet. we're going to that show yeah, we'll be done Nicole. Nicole. Is done. so Ooh. we're like so we were like at practice like <laughs> a year or two ago and Nicole was like all I want to do is just open up for Diarrhea Planet and that's it. We're going to retire. So I guess we're retiring the next yeah, day. Yeah, so we're oh, done. We're done. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully the EP Bye. gets finished before then. Ooh, we've like, got, we've got like, like, the last <laughs> session. Oh, well, we've got a month and a half, two months. Yeah. Two months. Oh, okay. We're good. Who gets to play um, for when the ball drops? Probably not us. I'm, I don't, I don't know, know if I, the show will even go that late. Yeah. I have no idea. Oh. I assume Diary oh, Planet. I, I would assume that anything that's happening that night, like it you're, should. Like you're there. You're not going like, so right? to. I, I hope they, they play. Kick us out at like what are they? Yeah, yeah. You're like by eleven yeah. thirty. Like okay. Eleven fifty nine. This did not work I'm out. Stuck in bed for that. Like, I hope they play Ghost with a Boner on at midnight. Oh yeah. On New Year's Eve. Can you make the request? Yeah. You probably just be like, hey. Um, we'll make, to- make sure we have time for one more song but yep. where can people find you listen to Spotify etc Instagram Spotify Bandcamp Instagram Facebook we, we are pretty findable I think thick.band thick.band is our website <laughs> it's actually true because you can actually make websites that are .band now um, and we what else I think Instagram's the most fun yeah. thick in Music. Brooklyn thick, yeah thick yeah. in Brooklyn Facebook Instagram Brooklyn spelled out mm-hmm. okay yeah. cool well, thanks for coming by. Uh, what are you going to take us out with? Uh, Luke's Diner. Puke's Diner. It's just, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Puke's Diner. Yeah, it has Great. two names. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Snacky Tunes. Here we go.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.